So I just have a few announcements. And I think there's some slides coming up on the screen. Um, first of all, our Guru Purnima Satsang. We have a special treat for you, so um, pop that all in your calendars. And we're celebrating this on Saturday the 24th of July. And it's one of our favourites because it's in honour of the spiritual teacher. And we are a Shaktipat tradition where the Guru is at the heart of everything because it's the Guru that awakens us to our spiritual potential and we get to give thanks for that. So pop that in your diaries. And also, um, it's your last chance to book in for a teaching masterclass series with Nataraj Chaitanya. It starts tomorrow and it runs for three consecutive weeks. And I can tell you firsthand what an amazing yoga instructor Nataraj is, so I highly recommend these workshops. And I imagine it would be a great opportunity to go deeper and to refresh your yoga practice. So make sure you don't miss that one. You can book your place at theashram.com.au and I'm sure you can speak to staff at reception too. <coughs> well, welcome everybody. And it's, uh, it's good to see more faces here. And I hope that uh, uh, we can emerge victorious in our, our fight with this uh, plague and more and more people we can see at satsang. You know... <coughs> Of course, I take very seriously uh, my job of um, talking about meditation and talking about the inner self and trying to inspire people to work on themselves and do practice and, and so on. But I also take seriously other aspects of public service. So whenever there's something re relevant to health or uh, well-being, I like to bring that right into satsang. And so this week I saw something so riveting and so informative that I thought I'd share it with you. <laughs> and so, Maestro, can we show this little clip? Darling, darling, did you get your jab? You mean jabs, darling? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> oh, I love it, darling. I just had a fresh bobo jab. Oh, you look so smooth, darling. Thanks, darling. Can you smile, darling? Absolutely not, darling. <laughs> Fantastic, darling. Babes, I got another jab. Another jab? <gasps> Do tell. Darling, I got the Pfizer jab. The Pfizer jab? Yes, darling, the Pfizer jab. Pfizer. 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 Oh. <laughs> Are you okay, darling? Well, why the shocked face, darling? Oh, well, <gasps> they did not. You got the AZ. He gave me the AZ. The AZ. The AZ. Darling, you don't look a day over 45. The AZ. Not the Pfizer. No Pfizer for me. I can't believe they gave you the AZ. Apparently it's not how old you look, it's how old you actually are. Unbelievable. How dare they give you the AZ. I won't tell anyone. Of course, darling, this stays between us. 12 seconds later. Girls, come here, come here. I have to tell you something. Karen got the AZ. She got the AZ. Not the Pfizer. No, not the Pfizer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but darlings, we all got the AZ. We know, Jennifer, but we'll never tell anyone, won't we, ladies? Now let's practice. Pfizer. 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 <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> so welcome, everybody. <clears throat> I like to begin my. Yeah, I'll need this. 
like to begin my programs, as I do every week, by uh, quoting my guru, Swami Muktananda, who always began his programs by saying in Hindi, Sabko Barisan Mane Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And uh, as uh, Vani Ma said in her talk, that was the essence of his teaching, to welcome another person with love. <clears throat> and um, many years ago, before I went to India, I became aware that, uh, that there was a, a wonderful resource that we have as human beings that I didn't know anything about. And that resource is the great beings, great realizers, great saints, great sages, great yogis, who have attained the ultimate in spiritual development, who have attained oneness with the inner self, which means to be established in a state of equanimity, of joy, of peace, and of wisdom. We go and spend our lives flopping around in confusion, in misery, in mood, up and down, and uh, not knowing what. But there have been great beings right throughout history who have attained the goal and conquered uh, that ignorance and that limitation that we essentially feel. And they show us the path to that. And when I heard that, it transformed my life. I realized I had to find a great being like that and study with them. And since then, I've been celebrating the great beings, and every Saturday night, that's my main theme, is to celebrate two things. One is the spirit of divinity within every person, what we call the Atman, or the inner self, and also those who have attained that self. These are the great beings, the great realizers. And so I admire them tremendously. I had the good fortune to meet a number of them in my uh, years in India. <clears throat> and uh, one of the first ones that I became aware of way back when I was first starting on the path was not someone I ever met in the body. He'd already died around 1950, uh, but he impressed me. There was something about him and about his teaching, and he's the subject tonight. And that's Sri Ramana the Maharishi or the Maharshi. Ramana, uh, a great sage of South India. Uh, he was born in uh, 1880, and he died in 1950. And when he was a 16-year-old boy, he had a transforming experience, which I'll talk about in a minute. What else do we have of him? Uh, this is sitting, uh, giving darshan, and it's all... He would just sit there, uh, and people would come and just be in his presence, bask in the, the, the sweetness, the peace, and the joy, and the, the energy of his presence. And we have another one? <laughs> and also, he's a great lover of animals. And uh, I don't know, is that Lakshmi, his cow? Possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, uh, so he was a great lover of animals. There he is. And uh, so Sri Ramana, a great soul, very famous for teaching the path uh, of self 
self-inquiry. Now, what was I going to talk about? What? How he attained God at 16. Ah, yes, that's it. <clears throat> I always say it's like, you know, uh, the ancient mariner who has to tell his story over and over again. Every time you talk about Ramana, you have to tell uh, that story. Uh, the most amazing uh, bit of spiritual history is that he was a boy of 16, uh, just a normal Brahmin youth in South India, who suddenly was gripped by enormous fear of death while at his uh, uncle's house. Uh, and he, instead of uh, freaking out and calling his therapist or his doctor or his acupuncturist or whoever, uh, he started to inquire. He said, what does this mean, that I'm dying? Well, if the body dies, what happens? And he went through an inner movement, an inner inquiry, and in 20 minutes he had attained the self, which he was forever established in after that moment. Um, and then this transformed him immensely. <clears throat> he didn't go and announce it to the world, but he, he just was a different person, and he would sit in his room and go into meditation and so on, and then uh, finally after a little while he decided he would leave home and go uh, to the, a holy mountain in South India, Arunachala, which is attracting him. Uh, and he just left home, he left a little note and disappeared, and then when he got to the mountain he sat in a cave and went into a trance, which he stayed in for a couple of years in deep trance, and then he emerged from it. People there uh, realized that he was a, a young holy man. And so when he came out of it, they treated him with great love and respect. And he didn't know any scriptures. He hadn't studied anything. This was all spontaneously happening inside him. Just a fantastic story. And every, uh, every seeker who hears that story thinks, wow, I'd like to do that. <laughs> That's the kind of... Sadhana, 20-minute sadhana, uh, but good luck. <laughs> anyway, he emerged and was one of the great uh, saints of the, of the 20th century with a, a great teaching. But I was thinking about that. And, uh, you know, to have an experience of the self is not that unusual or that extraordinary. <clears throat> Many people have some kind of experience sometime in their life. What was extraordinary about his story is that he saw what it was and he held it. And he never came down from that. So he saw what it was, he saw the meaning of it, and he was able to hold it. Usually people have that experience and then some tendency overwhelms them, some desire, some fear, some paranoia, uh, some anything, some worry, grabs them and they lose it, and it, uh, it's just a faint memory. But he was pure enough somehow, and he saw the importance of that, that he held on to that. And, and so that's, uh, that's the extraordinary part of it, that he must have been a yogi, in past lives, a yoga brishta, somebody who practically completed his spiritual practice and then he was ready and ripe for this, this life. But this is the great Ramana. 
And we have a few bits, uh, dialogues with Ramana and some other things. And uh, Devi Ma is going to help me <clears throat> because of my uh, eye difficulty these days. But uh, Devi Ma will read and I will interrupt. And first, the first one is a uh, dialogue uh, with Ramana around 1937. Go ahead. A Maharani Sahib spoke in a gentle and low voice, but quite audibly. Okay, I should say the Maharani uh, means a, a, a queen, uh, the Maharaj and the Maharani. They, uh, India was a, 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 a many, many little kingdom, tiny little kingdoms. Uh, and uh, they were held in great esteem, the Maharajas. We still have some of them, uh, although they're now pretty much figureheads. Uh, and there's some of the, uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, in Udapur and other places, there's a, uh, their castle, which is now, you know, public house, and you can go have a tour of it, maybe even stay there. Uh, but this is one of the, the, uh, uh, the local queens had come to see uh, Ramana. Maharani. Maharaji, I have the good fortune to see you. My eyes have had the pleasure of seeing you. My ears, the pleasure of hearing your voice. I am blessed with everything that a human being would like to have. Her Highness's voice choked. With great strength of mind, she rallied and proceeded slowly. So it's very unusual for the author of the talks with Ramana to be, to sort of editorialize this way. Mm -hmm. um, it just shows their devotion for the, these uh, Maharajas and Maharanis. So with great strength of mind. Go ahead. I have all that I want, a human being would want, but... But I, I do not have peace of mind. Something prevents it, probably my destiny. That's the archetypal and universal situation um, of someone who has everything on the material plane, but that still doesn't solve the ex existential dilemma of life. So we're going to hear the great sage talk about it. There was silence for a few minutes. Then Maharishi, in his usual sweet manner, spoke. Sri Ramana, all right, what need be said has been said. Well, what is destiny? Don't worry about destiny. Surrender and all will be well. Throw all the responsibility on God. Do not bear the burden yourself. What can destiny do to you then? Oh, so it's interesting that Ramana, you know, who's very famous for uh, the path of self-inquiry, and you know, everyone who comes to him, he says, "Find out who, who is I? Find out who is thinking? Who's talking? Who are you? Ask who am I? Go on." And we expect that, but he doesn't say this to, to her. He tells her, surrender. He sees that for her, the path is the path of devotion or of surrender. And he used to say that there are two paths. One is the path of inquiry, 
where you have to go inside and discover the self through your own intense effort and through inquiry. And the other is surrender, the path of devotion, where you give everything up to the higher power. So this is what he's recommending uh, to her. And she says, Surrender is impossible. <laughs> Sri Ramana, yes. Complete surrender is impossible in the beginning. Partial surrender is certainly possible for all. In course of time, that will lead to complete surrender. Okay, so that is a startling concept. Partial surrender. We're all or nothing, you know, and we think, oh, surrender, I can't surrender. That, of course, we immediately jump, that means surrendering everything. Surrender this, surrender that. And we have some strange notion of surrender. And uh, we think, well, we should, even if we have physical pain, we should be indifferent to it and anything, just complete surrender. So he's saying partial surrender. Partial surrender. <clears throat> Everybody's capable of partial surrender. A little bit of surrender. Okay, I'll be on, on my phone. I won't be on my phone 18 hours a day. I'll only be on my phone 16 hours a day. <laughs> That's partial surrender. All right, go on. Well, if surrender is impossible, what can be done? There is no peace of mind. You are helpless to bring it about. It can be done only by surrender. Devotee, partial surrender? Well, can it undo destiny? Sri Ramana, oh yes it can. Devotee, is not destiny due to past karma? Sri Ramana, if one is surrendered to God, God will look to it. Devotee, this being God's dispensation, how does God undo it? I want to stop for a minute. So what, how can we, uh, this concept of surrender, how can we uh, translate it maybe into a modern idiom so it's relevant to us? We can even leave God out of it. Surrender means, really, it means accepting your life in some way. Accepting the lot that's fallen to you, accepting your limitations, accepting what's possible, and being with that. When we're always at war, I talked about the other day being at war with our lives. We're often at war with our lives. Whenever we're at war with our lives, uh, there's no happiness in that. That's all misery. Then we become at war with the whole universe at war with ourselves, at war with other people, at war with the culture, at war with the way things are, at war with the universe, and so on, all the universal rules. So that's surrender. Surrender is to be surrendered to universal rules, universal laws, uh, the law of gravity, and many other laws. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, uh, this is the first part of surrender, to to be in your life as it is. And if you can accept that, that allows the door to open inside. And then there's great possibilities of joy and bliss inside. But first there has to be an initial acceptance. I like the word acceptance perhaps better than the word 
surrender, self-acceptance, acceptance of what is. Go on. Sri Ramana, all are in him only. Devotee, how is God to be seen? Sri Ramana, within. If the mind is turned inward, God manifests as inner consciousness. Devotee, God is in all, in all the objects we see around us. They say we should see God in all of them. Sri Ramana, God is in all and in the seer. Where else can God be seen? He cannot be found outside. He should be felt within. So this is uh, the key point here is she's saying, you know, she's heard that God is in everything. And, and Ramana is saying, when you see something, this, you're also seeing it. The seer is there as long as what you see, the seer and the seen. And God is in the seer. God is in here. That's where God is. So look for God inside, in the self. Uh, and he says he should be felt within. You move from a concept of God to an experience of beingness. Move to the beingness, the feeling of God. So go on. To see the objects, mind is necessary. To conceive God in them is a mental operation. But that is not real. The consciousness within, purged of the mind, is felt as God. He's being, he's being tough with her. He's saying, don't just have a, a pretty concept. A lot of times we have pretty spiritual concepts. God is in everything. And he's saying, don't be, go to the experience. Go to the actual experience. Turn within and go to the experience. So um, he, you'll see it comes back to this again and again. Devotee. There are, say, beautiful colors. It's a pleasure to watch them. We can see God in them. Okay, that's, uh, I would call that sort of uh, New Age sentimentality. <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say. But yeah, God, God's in the beauty, the sunsets and all that. But Ramana throws some cold water on it. He says, They are all mental conceptions. Devotee. There are more than colors. I mentioned colors only as an example. Ramana again? They are similarly mental. It's just an idea. I'm not, he's pointing beyond an idea to the direct experience. Go ahead. Devotee, there is the body also, the senses and the mind. The soul makes use of all these for knowing things. Sri Ramana, the objects or feelings or thoughts are all mental conceptions. The mind rises after the rise of the I thought or the ego. Where from does the ego arise? From the abstract consciousness or pure intelligence? Okay, so this is one of Ramana's main principles. He's saying uh, that first there's pure awareness. And there are no thoughts in that awareness. 
And the first thought that arises is the thought I, I am, I, I am. And then that I am uh, is falsely put on this body. I must be this person here. And then, and then you get the mind, the mind brings up and the ego arises and so on. He says, where does this first I thought come from? So Ramana's essential teaching is to hold on to the I thought, since it's the first thought, hold on to the I thought. It's a great meditation. We'll come back to it in a second. We'll do, we'll do a little practice on that, but keep going. Devotee, is it the soul? Sri Ramana, soul, mind, or ego are mere words. There are no entities of the kind. Consciousness is the only truth. He's very tough on her. He won't let her have a concept at all. Is this still her? Yeah, this is her. Oh. Isn't he being tough? Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Devotee then that consciousness cannot give any pleasure. Sri Ramana, its nature is bliss. Bliss alone is. Enjoyer and joy both merge in it. Devotee, there are pleasure and pain in ordinary life. Should we not remain with only pleasure? Now he's got a very interesting thing on bliss and, and joy. Go on. Sri Ramana, pleasure consists in turning and keeping the mind within, pain in sending it outward. There is only pleasure. Absence of pleasure is called pain. Your your natural state is one of pleasure or joy. That's very hard to believe, isn't it? Your natural state, our natural state is one of joy. This is what Ramana is saying. And we destroy that by our outgoing tendencies. Our mind, which says, not enough, too much, not enough, no good, no good, this bad, I don't have this, I don't have that, they have more, jealousy, all these other things, and and destroy our natural state of joy, of bliss. That's it, you know, if you take that point of view on, it's marvelous. It's really the point of view of sadhana. Then you realize, the only problem is your own activity. Your own way of thinking is the problems we create for ourselves. And we can undo it. Because we do it, then the power is in our hands. We have the power to undo it. Who did it? We did it to ourselves. Therefore, we can undo it by straightening our brains out and finding the bliss that's always there. One's nature is always bliss, he says. Go on. One's nature is pleasure, bliss, ananda. The sense of body is a thought. The thought is of the mind. The mind rises after the I thought. The I thought is the root thought. If that is held, the other thoughts will disappear. Then there will then be no body, no mind, not even the ego. Okay, I want to do two dharanas. You ready? Let's do two of them. First one, the more pleasurable one first. Go inside and say, my nature is 
bliss. My nature is bliss. And then look at your experience and say, either this is bliss, or if you can't buy that, under this there is bliss. There is bliss in here. My nature is bliss. And so if unpleasantness comes up, understand that underneath it, there's bliss. So let's do that just for 30 seconds or so. Okay. How many were able to get a, an intimation or a taste of that bliss or that joy? Just even a soup song. A little bit. Yeah, okay. That's really good. Now let's do the other one. He says, you hold the I thought. Just say to yourself, I am, I. You've been saying I, I, I all your life. Every day you say, I did this, I did that, I'm... Who's here? I'm here. I want this. I want lunch. I want dinner. I want a uh, new something. I this or that. I, I believe this. I stand for that. You say that all the time. So who is that I? Hold that I. I. Say to yourself, I. And from that statement of I, go to the feeling of I. That feeling will be over on this side of the ledger towards you. Right? So just hold that eye. That's what he's saying. Hold on to it. Okay, that's a very interesting meditation. It's what Ramana means by self-inquiry. It's what Gurdjieff means by, what does he call it? Self-remembering. What? Self-remembering, Self that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and what Baba means by? Remember the self. Meditation on the self, remember the self. It's all the same stuff. It's a great meditation. Okay, let's go on. Where are we, Debbie Ma? Ramana, the last sentence, Ramana says, there will then be no body, no mind, not even the ego. Yep. Devotee, what will remain then? Sri Ramana, the self in its purity. Devotee, how can the mind be made to vanish? Sri Ramana, no attempt is made to destroy it. To think or wish it is itself a thought. If the thinker is sought, the thoughts will disappear. So as Baba said in the retreat, don't run after the mind with the stick of your sadhana. Don't go beating up your mind. Go for the goal, not the mind, 
but the self. So focus on the self. The one who thinks. The thinker is the, it means the self. The self is the thinker. Go to the self itself. Hold on to that. Devotee, will they disappear of themselves? It seems so difficult. Sri Ramana, they will disappear because they are unreal. The idea of difficulty is itself an obstacle to realization. It must be overcome. To remain as the self is not difficult. Brilliant insight, and this is something we should remember. The idea of difficulty is itself an obstacle to realization. How many times have I heard the following words? It's too hard. All that is an expression of a major obstacle to knowing the self. It's just an idea that you have. And Ramana would say, give up that idea. Give up that idea. That's an obstacle. Don't say that. That's an obstacle. I can't get anywhere. I can't control my mind. My karma is terrible. You know, give up. These are, these are obstacles. Go on. Devotee, it looks easy to think of God in the external world, whereas it looks difficult to remain without thoughts. Sri Ramana, that is absurd. To look at other things is easy, and to look within is difficult. It must be contrary wise. So he said, how silly. You can't look at yourself. That's the easiest thing. Okay, go on. Devotee, but I do not understand. It is difficult. It is difficult. <laughs> Sri Ramana. This, this previous idea. This thought of difficulty is the chief obstacle. A little practice will make you think differently. If you, if you have a little bit of success and you're able to meditate, then you stop going on and complaining about how difficult it is. Devotee, what is the practice? Sri Ramana, to find out the source of I. Okay, let's, let's leave this dialogue here. <clears throat> So that's it. The practice is to find out the source of I, to hold on to the I thought until the source of I, which is consciousness itself, discloses itself. So that's a, a dialogue, a very good dialogue with, uh, with Sri Ramana, a teaching dialogue. Uh, but in, in recent years, uh, I've become enamored of uh, another commentator on Ramana, and that's Suri Nagama. And Suri Nagama is, uh, was an uneducated woman who was married, uh, as they uh, do in India, at a very young age. I don't know, what was it, nine years old or something? And uh, she became a widow at 11. Uh, and then there's no uh, remarriage or anything like that for her, so uh, so she was uh, in this state of uh, not being educated and, you know, not having a family. Anyway, eventually, because she had a very understanding brother, uh, she, she became interested in the spiritual path, and, found, and he found out about Ramana, and then she went 
and spent time at Ramana's ashram. She never wanted to leave. And she sat there and had darshan all the time. And it turned out she was not educated, but she was quite brilliant. And she started writing him letters. And we have a book of letters to the brother telling what's going on in ashram. It's one of the best stories of Ramana and gives a full picture of how, uh, how he is. And we've been going on, so I want to skip to the last one. <clears throat> what does Bhagavan like most? I thought this, we'd get through this very quickly, but we didn't. So we'll do this. This is one of my favorite bits on Ramana <clears throat> and how he actually operates as a person. So, Devima, this is from a letter from 1949, right in the, at the end of Ramana's life. And he's, she's, Suri Nagama is writing to her brother, and she says, Several people that come to Bhagawan's presence become interested in self-inquiry and do sadhana, but other people are not satisfied simply with darshan. They look around and begin to say, we will repair this, or we will improve that. If they asked Bhagwan, he would say, yes, yes, that is good, no doubt, but discuss the matter with the office. So, okay, so, by the way, she calls him Bhagavan, as we call Bhagavan Nityananda. It's, it's Ramana in this case, so don't confuse that. <clears throat> so a lot of people come to the ashram, and instead of using the ashram facility for what it is, which is a, an opportunity to go deep in meditation, they say, oh, we can improve this and this and this. And she's saying, uh, Ramana says, oh, that's a good suggestion. Go talk to the, the management. And if they agree with it, well, you can do it. All right, go on. If the office staff agree and places the matter before Bhagavan, he would merely nod his head in approval. But if they did not agree and sought his opinion, he would say, I do not know, do as you think best. When there's disagreement. <laughs> okay, go ahead. And as soon as they left, he would tell devotees, look, Without minding the purpose for which they come to the ashram, they begin thinking of reforming the ashram. It is enough if they reform themselves. Instead of that, they say, we will do this and we will do that. What then? If all of them agree, then there is no trouble. But if what they say, the office staff do not like, and what the office says they do not like, what is it I can do? So they've left, and Ramana's turning to the local devotees, and he's complaining. <laughs> These people want to change things, and, uh, but what if the office disagrees? And they, they all disagree, so what can I do about that? <laughs> he's complaining to them. Go on. Added to that, they inquire what it is that Swami would like to be done. Do I want all these things? Do I want? <laughs> what do you mean, what do I want? He tells you what he wants. Go on. As an instance, one interesting thing happened here recently. This is Nagama telling a sidebar. Go ahead. A devotee came here and offered to supply an outer cover for the Sri Chakra made of copper with a silver plating over it. Okay, so the, the, uh, the Indian devotees 
love to um, buy embellish. embellish things, deities and so on. Uh, when I got to Ganeshpuri, in the first six months, they, they, somebody had uh, donated uh, a, a, a top to the temple. I forgot what they call it. What do they call that? What? No, no, no. Silver pagoda or the umbrella? No, I can't remember the word right now, but, but it was a big, a kalos, a kalos, I think, oh, yeah. a kalos. And it was a gold thing. It was a big deal. So, so in this case, they had the Sri Chakra, which is uh, a, a sacred diagram, very, you know, worshipped in the South India particularly. Um, and they must have had it in, made out of uh, gold or something. And they wanted to put a covering on it. Kavacha is, uh, is uh, an armor or a, something like that. The, we, we did uh, Shiva Kavacha, which is uh, you do mantras to get the armor of Shiva. You get protection of Shiva. So there's something to cover this, this tree chakra. They were offering it. Okay? Go on. The ashram authorities, however, wanted Wait, the no, they wanted They wanted to make it of, of copper with silver plating, right? Okay, so they offered, we want to make this thing of copper with silver plating, aluminum. <laughs> Good. The ashram authorities, however, wanted the cover to made of pure silver. Why not? Why not gold? Good. As they could not agree on this issue, they decided to refer it to Bhagawan and so came to the hall. On behalf of the ashram authorities, one of them approached Bhagwan and asked him with great reverence. They say that they will make the outer cover for the Sri Chakra of copper plated with silver. Well, we all feel it would be better for it to be ma made of pure silver. What is Bhagwan's advice in the matter? <laughs> Bhagwan, what do I have to do with it? <laughs> it is all right in whatever way it is done. You need to come to a mutual decision and come up with a plan that you both agree on. So that's what he wants. He wants you guys to agree on it and then do it. I don't, he doesn't care. Devotee, Swami, we wish to know what Bhagavan himself would like us to do. <laughs> Bhagavan, that is exactly what I'm saying. That which you all agree to to do in mutual consultation will be to my liking. If both of you give different opinions, what can I do? So what Bhagwan wants is them to agree on it and do it. <laughs> Devotee, as we hold two different opinions, we are inquiring in order to find out what Bhagwan would like best. <laughs> whether it's too hot, whether, whether it's too hot or too cold. <laughs> But what Bhagwan says now, uh, is it here? His answer is just extraordinary. Go ahead. Oh, no, Bhag it's a little bit later. Go ahead. Bhagwan. Bhagwan. Oh, I see. You want to know what Bhagavan would like best? <laughs> what Bhagwan likes best is to remain silent without doing anything. <laughs> if people with different opinions give up their silence, which is the embodiment of love, and come to me and say, we will do this, and we will do that, 
and inquire of me what I like better of the two, what can I say? If you all agree upon a course of action and then ask me for my opinion, I would then say, it's all right. But when you are of two opinions, why do you come to me and ask me which I like the better? What I like is... What I like is, this is what he likes. To know who I am and to remain as I am with the knowledge that what is to happen will happen and what is not to happen will not happen. <laughs> That's what Bhagavad likes. <laughs> to, uh, to remain as I am with the knowledge that what will happen will happen and what will not happen will not happen. That's what he likes. <laughs> Is that wonderful? <clears throat> Go ahead. Is that not right? Do you now understand what Bhagawan likes best? <laughs> so saying, Bhagawan assumed silence. <laughs> Is that not marvelous? Yeah. So let us assume silence. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. <clears throat> and uh, what's good for Bhagwan is good for us. <laughs> so we remain as we are in that meditation, knowing full well that what is to happen will happen. And what is not to happen will not happen. And be in your own space with great peace. Rest in contentment. And find that peace, the bliss which is inherent in your own nature. If you like, you can hold on to the I thought. Just hold on to the I thought. And see where that takes you. And as a third alternative, you can say the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, and let all the other thoughts fade away. And we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satguru Maharaj Ki Jai. Let's meditate.